This sermon was recorded at the Church of Christ, Northwest Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth, according to the New Testament. Come worship with us Sunday mornings at 1030 at 1708 Elm Springs Road in Springdale, Arkansas. I'd like to join in and welcoming everybody here this morning. I'm glad that you can make it with us so we can worship God together. I'd like to say a special welcome to the visitors. I'm, I'm really thankful that you all could be with us. It's definitely been encouraging for us and edifying, and I thank you for that. And I pray that the, the rest of the service will be edifying unto you as well. For a little while today, I want to talk about the tree by the water. This is going to come from the book of Jeremiah, chapter 17. If you have Bibles and want to turn over there, it's Jeremiah, chapter 17, beginning in verse 7. I will have the verses on the screen behind me. I want to talk about this concept of the tree planted by the water. So we'll go ahead and look at that. Jeremiah chapter 17, reading verse 17, says, Blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord, and whose hope the Lord is. For he shall be as a tree planted by the waters, and that spreadeth out her roots by the river, shall not see when heat cometh, but her leaf shall be green, and shall not be careful in the year of drought, neither shall cease from yielding fruit." When we look at this, we, we see this, uh, the descriptions here. We can see it talks about a few different things in Jeremiah. It talks about this tree planted by the water. It spreads out her roots by the river. It doesn't see, and that when you look up that word see, it means fear. It doesn't fear when heat comes because it knows it's going to have what it needs. Its leaves are green. You know, for, for those of you who know us, we used to live out in West Texas, and it's a whole lot more evident out in West Texas than it is here. But when you're looking out in the landscape of West Texas, that's pretty much like desert you'll see these really green trees kind of in clumps. And pretty much whenever you see those green trees, that their leaves are green, they look really good, they look really healthy, there's going to be water there. There's either going to be a pond, there's going to be a river, there's something water there. Now here out in Arkansas, we have green trees everywhere. But you get the idea and you get this concept that when you have a tree planted by the water, it's getting all the nourishment that it needs. It has the water, it, it doesn't worry about when heat comes, its leaves are green, it's not careful, it's not anxious in droughts when there's, when there's not going to be rain because it has its water source that's always going to be there. And it never ceases from yielding fruit because once again it has this, this nourishment that it needs. So we can see that the appearance of a tree is an indicator of the healthiness of that tree. It's the indicator of the healthiness of the roots and how well it's getting nourishment. And we look at these characteristics described from Jeremiah as this tree planted by the water, and it says, that is a man that trusts in the Lord. And doesn't it sound great when we think about, we get this mental image, we think about the tree planted by the water. Doesn't it sound great to have all this nourishment? We think about this tree that it has everything it needs, the hard time is going to come, and it's fine. It's always going to be yielding good fruit for people around it. And that's the tree that, that we should want to be like. Now we can compare that and contrast it to a few verses ahead of that in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 5. And it says, Thus saith the Lord, Cursed is the man that trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart departs from the Lord. For he shall be like a shrub in the desert, and shall not see when good comes, but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness, in a salt land which is not inhabited. So here we can see a contrast of that that Jeremiah talks about. Now you can get these two mental images. You can get this picture here. You have a tree planted by the water. It's lush, it's green, it has everything that it needs versus this shrub out in the desert. When you think about the shrub out in the desert, you know, you see one of those like, how in the world is this thing even surviving? It looks rough. It doesn't look like it, it will not produce fruit. It doesn't really do good for anything. But you can see these two things. And what did Jeremiah say was the key difference between the tree by the water 
and the shrub in the desert. That key difference, it says, Cursed is the man who trusts in manna, which is the shrub in the desert, or blessed is the man that trusts in the Lord, which is the tree by the water. So when we think about these two differences, this is what I want to study about this morning. Is putting our trust in the Lord or putting our trust in man? We look over in Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 17. Jesus said, So every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit, fruit is hewn down and is cast into the fire. So when you think about that shrub in the desert, remember that's the one who's putting their trust in man. That's going to be a tree that does not bring forth good fruit. What did Jesus say is going to happen to that tree that does not bring forth good fruit? It's there at the very end. It's going to be cast down. It's going to be chopped down and cast into the fire. So when we think about our lives and our spiritual lives, we should be constantly striving to build our trust in the Lord. And building our trust in the Lord is giving us the spiritual nourishment that we need so that we can overcome obstacles and we can produce good fruit. And this is what the study is going to be about this morning, is building our trust in the Lord and making sure we're constantly giving ourselves the spiritual nourishment that we need. So for a little while this morning, I want to talk about five different ways that you can build your trust in the Lord and you can receive this spiritual nourishment. So the first way we're going to talk about is by prayer. If we look at Psalms chapter 116, beginning in verse 1, it says, I love the Lord because He hath heard my voice and my supplications, because He hath inclined His ear unto me. Therefore I will call upon Him as long as I live. The sorrows of death compassed me, and the pains of hell got hold upon me, and I found trouble and sorrow. Then called I upon the name of the Lord, O Lord, I beseech thee, deliver my soul. So the psalmist here, he's talking about how when the hard times come, which we all have, we have these hard times come, he knows that he can always go to the Lord in prayer and that God is going to hear, hear, hear him and he's going to help deliver him out of those hard times. And he's going to do the same thing for us today. So prayer is one of the number one ways that we can have this spiritual nourishment. We can go to God in prayer and we can receive the nourishment that we need so we can overcome these hard times. So what should we pray for? Well, if we look in Matthew chapter 26, verse 39, this is talking about Jesus right before He went to the cross. It says, He went a little further and fell on His face, praying, O Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from Me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as Thou wilt. So the first thing we should pray for is for God's will to be done and for us to be submissive to God's will in our life. Something else we should pray for, John chapter 17 and verse 17, Jesus talking again says, Sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word, that they all may be one. As thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. Something else we should pray for is for unity, for unity in heart and unity in mind through God's word. And that's what Jesus prayed for us when he was here on earth. Jesus prayed for you and he prayed for me that we would all be unified. We'll be unified in him and in God through his word. And that's something else we should be praying for as well, that we could have unity. Something else we should pray for in Matthew chapter 9, verse 38 says, Pray ye therefore to the Lord of harvest that he will send forth laborers 
into his harvest. Jesus is talking about here, he says, look up and he says the, the fields are white. They're ready to be harvested, meaning there's a lot of souls out there that need to be saved. There's a lot of people out there that they need Jesus. And something we should be praying for is for more laborers. We should be praying for growth of the kingdom that will continue to grow and will continue to have these laborers go out and help these people that need it. And James chapter 5, verse 16 tells us to confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. That what James is telling us to pray for is to pray for each other. So when you go to confess your faults one another, like we should, your fellow brother and your fellow sister, they should be praying for you to help overcome those faults. And that's something we should be doing for each other, is we should be praying for each other. If we look in Colossians chapter 1, verse 9, it says, For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, and to desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of His will, and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that ye may walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might, according to His glorious power, and all patience and long suffering with joyfulness. This is Paul writing to the Colossians here, and he's saying that, that we pray for you. We don't, we don't cease to pray for you. And there are specific things that he prays for them for. If you look there in verse 9, he prays that they'll be filled with knowledge, they'll be filled with wisdom, filled with spiritual understanding, he prays that they will walk worthy of the Lord so they'll be pleasing. He prays that they'll be fruitful into every good work. He prays that they increase in knowledge. He prays that they'll be strengthened in His might, glorious power. He prays for their patience and long-suffering with joyfulness. There's a lot of things that you can pray for for your brethren. And Paul gives us some good examples here. So when you're praying and you're, you're receiving the spiritual nourishment for yourself, pray that your fellow brothers and sisters will also receive that spiritual nourishment for them. And finally, something else that we should pray for is in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, it tells us to be careful or anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. We should pray for our concerns. We have concerns, we have hard times, we have troubles in this life. And the Philippian letter is telling us here to pray for those. Give those to God. Remember, we talked about at the very first that the difference between the tree planted by the water and the shrub in the desert is the one who puts his trust in God. When you continually go to God in prayer, you cast your burdens upon Him, you let Him know your requests, you're putting more and more trust in Him. So you're receiving this spiritual nourishment while you're letting God take over the work for you. So a little recap of what we should pray for is God's will, unity in the kingdom, growth in the kingdom, pray for one another, pray for knowledge and spiritual wisdom, and pray for your concerns. So by doing this alone and doing this continually, day in and day out, multiple times a day, go to God in prayer. You're going to receive this spiritual nourishment that you need. Now the second thing we'll look at is another way to have this spiritual nourishment is meditation. When you look up that word meditation, it means to engage in thought or contemplation. You, you, there's many different ways that people meditate. We're going to look at specifically how the Bible says to meditate. And we'll look at Psalms chapter 1, verse 1. It says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of the sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. There's that same analogy that we see in Jeremiah. It's just like a tree planted by the water 
This one, the psalmist is telling us that he meditates in God's law or God's word day and night. So there's many different versions of meditation that the world will teach. The Bible teaches us what meditation really is, is thinking and contemplating about God's word. That you're going into God's word, you're reading it, you're studying it, and then you're thinking about it multiple times a day in deep thought. When you do that, when you really think about God's word, a lot of times it will really calm your body. You'll really slow down, you'll get rid of some of the stresses in the world because you're really thinking about God's word. And that's what we're talking about with meditation today. If you look in Joshua chapter 1, verse 8, it says, The book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Joshua takes it this one step further, that we meditate day and night in the book of the law, that we're going into the book of the law, God's word, we're meditating upon it, we're thinking about it, and then he takes it one step further. That one step further is, as you're meditating upon it, then you may observe to do what is written, that you'll apply it to your life. And when you're thinking about God's word constantly, you're thinking about his commandments, you're thinking about his blessings that he gives us, you're thinking about the promises that we have, you think about what Jesus did for us, and you're reading some of those examples that we see where people love one another. You're thinking about all these different things that's written in God's Word, and then you take that step further and you apply it to your life. You do, do the things that, that you want to, or that God tells you to do. When you do that, it says that then God will make your way prosperous and you'll, you'll have good success. This may not be physically. You may not have physical prosperity or physical success, but you will have spiritual prosperity and success. Just as we talked about in Jeremiah and just as we talked about in Psalms, that you'll get this spiritual nourishment that you'll need like the tree planted by the rivers of the water. So you look at this meditation. You know, there's a lot of times that, that science will do different studies on the, the values of meditation. Here's a few that I saw. Science-based benefits of meditation. Number one is it reduces stress. Number two, controls anxiety. It promotes emotional health. That's been a big topic lately. Promotes emotional health. It enhances self-awareness. That self-awareness, when you think about that, that's really what it's saying. Self-awareness is understanding your strengths and your weaknesses. And when you're meditating upon God's Word, it helps you to remember your strengths and your weaknesses. Your weaknesses as a human against fleshly desires and your strengths in God that you can overcome anything that you need. Number five is it lengthens attention span. Some of us really need that. Some of us get pretty distracted easily. When we're meditating, it will help lengthen that attention span. Number six is it helps overcome addiction. That's a, that was an interesting one to me when I came across that. You know, there's many people that struggle with addictions of all different kinds. Whatever the addiction may be, most of the time addictions are not great for us. Um, meditation can actually help overcome those addictions. Number seven is it improves sleep, which we all need. We need to make sure we're focused on sleep and we're getting enough rest for our body so we can think clearly, we can perform optimally the way that we need to. And number eight is it decreases blood pressure. So this is what science has proven. They looked at different people and they've taken big study groups and they look at the people who do meditation versus the people who don't do meditation and they see with results and with data that it does these things. Now, we, we know from God's Word that it's going to help us because God said it will help us. We just read that in the book of Joshua. So meditation is another way that we can increase the spiritual nourishment that we need. 
and we can remind ourselves to stay focused on trusting in the Lord and not focused on trusting in man. The third thing we'll look at is individual study of God's Word. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 19, it says, We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well that ye take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place, until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts, knowing this first, that the prophecy of the Scripture, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. When we think about individual study, we have the complete Word of God with us at our fingertips at all times. You either have a physical copy of the Bible, you have it on your phone, it's on the internet, you can have it anywhere. It's totally accessible for anybody, free of charge. It's everywhere for us. And we know that that Word of God, it wasn't made from man's writing. It's made from God's writing. It's His instruction for us. So when we're going in and we're studying God's Word, we're learning directly from God. And we're getting the teachings directly from Him that we need. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, it says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. There's nobody that can study for you. You know, we talked earlier about how we should pray for one another, and we should. You should be praying for your brothers and sisters. You can't study for them, and they can't study for you that we have to make sure we're going into God's Word, we're really learning it for ourselves so that we can rightly divide the Word of truth. There's a lot of confusion out in the world today. There's a lot of different denominations, different churches, different teachings that teach all different things. And they do that because they, many of them have not rightly divided the Word of truth. And we have to make sure for an individual self that us as Christians and our relationship with God is based upon the truth and His truth. And the only way to do that is that we can rightly divide that word of truth. When we're hearing these different teachings and these different confusions, we have to be able to go in and compare it to the scriptures and say, is that true or is it not true? Some of them are, some of them are not. It's up to us to make sure we're so studied in God's word that we can rightly divide the word of truth for ourselves. That's up to you. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 10, it says, Wherefore the brethren give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you shall never fall. We have to make sure we're giving diligence to these things. We're really getting into God's Word on a consistent basis. We're really making sure that the things that we believe and the things that maybe we've heard our whole life, that we've heard are truth, we make sure that they really are truth. We make sure that they really match up to God's Word, including things that you'll hear from, from here in this building. The things that I'm teaching you right now, go study them. Make sure that, that you really understand that it is truth. If I teach something that's wrong, come correct me. Make sure to help me get on the right path. But all of this is based upon your individual study. and Make sure that you're doing what you need to do. We see an example of this in Acts chapter 17 with the Bereans. Acts chapter 17, beginning in verse 10, says, And the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night into Berea, who coming thither went into the synagogue of the Jews. Now these were more noble than those in Thessalonica, and that they received the word with all readiness of mind, and they searched the scriptures daily, whether those things were so. Therefore many of them believed, also of honorable women which were Greeks, and of men not a few. Now at this time, Paul and Silas, they had already been teaching, they've been traveling, they've been going around for a while, and they get to Berea, 
And when they get there, the common practice for Paul was to go into the synagogue and to start teaching. And that's what he was doing at this time. So he was teaching at the synagogue of the Jews. And he was teaching things about Christ. And he was teaching things that Jesus was the Messiah and, and those type of things. Now, here we see a characteristic expressed by the Bereans. It says that they were more noble than those in Thessalonica. So apparently the Thessalonians did not do what the Bereans did. So when we see what Berea did, it says the first thing is they received the word with all readiness of mind, meaning they were paying attention to what Paul and Silas were teaching. They were receiving it. Now, receiving it does not automatically mean you believe it. It just means you're listening. You're listening attentively. You're listening to, to what they're saying. The second thing they did is after they understood what Paul and Silas were teaching, then they searched the scriptures daily. They tested those things against God's word. When they found them to match up, that they were true, then they applied them to their lives. And whether those things were so, it says there in verse 12, therefore many of them believed because what Paul and Silas were teaching was the truth. But so what they did, the, the Bereans, they listened attentively. They received their word with all readiness of mind. They cleared their minds from worldly thoughts, really listened to what Paul and Silas were, were teaching, and then tested that against the truth of God's word. And that's the same thing that we should do. When it matches up with the truth of God's Word, then believe it. Believe it and take it and apply it to your life to the best of your ability. If it doesn't match up with God's Word, go have a conversation with that person and show them why their, their teaching is wrong. And maybe you can help persuade them to start teaching the truth a little bit better. What we know is that all of God's Word is beneficial for us. It's beneficial in everything that we do. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, it says that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it is profitable. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect or complete, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. We have everything that we need. We also know from the scripture that God has given us everything that pertains unto life or godliness. We have all the answers. Anything you're struggling with, any problems that you overcome or that you need to overcome, God has given you all the answers to do that. And yet it takes us to study in God's word to, to find the answers and to learn how to overcome that. So by studying God's word, that's also going to continually uh, push you to put your trust in God and give you that spiritual nourishment you need. The fourth thing we'll look at is group study. Now, group study can be many different styles. This first one we'll look at in Deuteronomy is, is kind of talking about the family. So studying with your family at home. Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 6 says, And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thy house, when thou walkest by the way, when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontlets between the eyes. And thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house and on thy gates. What it's talking about here in Jerusalem, this is encouragement to parents to teach your children about God's word. It says everything that, that you're learning shall be in your heart, that you're, as parents, that you're taking it into your heart, and then you're teaching that to your children. And you look through those descriptions, you're teaching them everywhere. You know, there's plenty of examples throughout the day. There's plenty of times when situations arise when you're, you're raising your kids that you can constantly go back to God's Word in order to teach your children things that they need to learn and use the, the, what's going on at that time in order to teach them. So group study could be your family learning God's Word together, and it should be. You should be learning God's Word together as a family. Now children, 
you also have a responsibility in that as well. In Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 6 and 7, this is Jeremiah talking to God. He says, Then said I, O Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a child. But the Lord said unto me, Say not that I am a child, for thou shalt go to all that I send thee, and whatsoever I command thee, thou shalt speak. So God is talking to Jeremiah here, and he's giving him a mission to go speak to people and get them turned back to God. They follow after him. Jeremiah started to use this excuse of, I can't do it, I'm too young. God says, get that excuse out of here. If I tell you to go do something, go do something. And same thing for children for you today, is when you're studying God's Word, you have a responsibility to listen attentively, listen to what your parents are teaching, listen to God's Word, and apply it to your life by, with obedience. So don't use the excuse that you're too young, or really any excuse for that matter. So we see examples of family study, study habits and making sure that, that we're getting in, we're teaching our children, and children are learning, and that they're applying it to their life from an early age. Then there's also other forms of group study, which could be with your congregation. It could be uh, with other fellow Christians. In Acts chapter 5, verse 42, it says, And daily in the temple and in every house they cease not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. This is the apostles at that time that they were going around and they were going from house to house and they were teaching different families and different groups together about Jesus Christ. So they were doing this group study together. Also, we look in the, in the book of Titus and we can see how older people should be teaching the younger. Titus chapter 2, verse 1, it says, But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine, that the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith and charity and in patience, the aged women likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. We can see that the older here are supposed to be teaching the younger, and how better to teach fellow Christians around you than with the Word of God. Just get in with the Word of God and have this group study time. You know, something we used to do, I talk to a lot of people, when they ask us about our congregation, relatively speaking, our congregation is, is young compared to most congregations. We've been around now for a little over four years, about four and a half years. And a lot of people across the brotherhood at different congregations, they ask us, how do you have the success that you've had in this congregation? How have we had the growth and the unity and the love and all that we see in our congregation that we're really proud of. How do we have that? And it really comes down to a couple things. If you remember, before we started the congregation, we would have Bible studies on Wednesday nights. We would meet at my real estate office, and it grew quite significantly. Pat usually led those Bible studies, and that gave us a very solid and strong foundation on doctrine, on teachings, on different things that we all became like-minded and unified on God's Word together. And it's because we dedicated time to spend in group study with each other. That also built in fellowship. It also built our relationship with each other. So as we're learning God's Word, we're strengthening our bonds with one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. So that's just one way, one example of why I think our congregation has done very well is because the dedication and love of God's Word that we all have together. And we need to continue that going. We need to keep that up, so make sure that we're continually doing this group study together. We see another example of the very first early Christians in Acts chapter 2, verse 4 to 1. It says, Then they that gladly received His Word were baptized, 
And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and of prayers. I did a study a while back over the day of Pentecost. And if you remember, you have a lot of different Jews from different uh, regions that came to, to the feast at Jerusalem, the Pentecostal feast. And this is where 3,000 of them obeyed the gospel for the first time. This is where Peter taught the gospel and he showed them that you've killed the Messiah. And then that they obeyed baptism so that they could have forgiveness of sins. Now, what they could have done is they could have just listened to Peter and say, okay, we're going to be baptized. Now we're good. We're in the clear. We're going to go back home and continue on with our daily lives just as it was before. But they didn't do that. They stayed. It says there in verse 42, it says, They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. They stayed together, going from house to house, learning God's word together, spending time with each other, making sure that they're continually growing in what they needed, which was God's word. So this group study, this is a very key way that you can continue to build your spiritual nourishment, that you continue to build your trust in God so that when the hard times come, you've got everything that you need. The fifth way that we'll talk about is by serving each other. In Acts chapter 18, verse 3, it says, Because he was of the same craft, this is talking about Paul, he abode with them and wrought, for by their occupation they were tent makers. This is talking about Paul when he was traveling. He went and stayed with a, a couple named Aquila and Priscilla. They were of the same occupation, same physical earthly talents that they had, which was tent makers. What they did at this time was they can, they, he stayed with them, and he worked with them, and they made tents, and they did these different things. That was their talent that they could use in order to serve others. Just as they used their talent to serve others, we all have our own physical talents and our own things that God has gifted us and that we have learned. We have adapted our skills so that we can use that to go serve others. Some of you may be good at mechanic. Some of you may be good with finances. Be good with all these different things that you can use that to, to go bless and serve your fellow, your fellow Christians. So the second way that we can look at serving one another, other than our physical talents that we've been given, is with our finances. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 1, it says, Now concerning the collection of the saints, as I have given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do ye. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by in him in store, as God hath prospered him that there be no gatherings when I come. This is Paul instructing the church at Corinth, and we have the same instruction, that on the first day of the week, we lay by a portion of that that God's blessed us with, with our finances. So that as needs come up in the church, as needs come up with your fellow Christians, then we already have it ready. We don't have to have this special collection. We don't have to have something like that, that we're ready to go and we can go serve other people with it. So that's another way that you can serve. You can also serve by giving personally, other than just giving on the first day of the week. And that's in 1 John chapter 3, verse 16. It says, Hereby perceive we the love of God, because He laid down His life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso hath this world's goods, and seeth his brother hath need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. John is teaching us here that we all have many physical blessings that God has given us. And we should be continually looking for opportunity to share that and to give whatever we can to other people in need. There's going to be times that you're on the receiving end. 
There's going to be times that you have some struggles in your life, whether it's hardships with health or finances or job loss or anything along that. There's going to be times that you're on the receiving end, and you need to be okay receiving too. So as these times come up and you're receiving, remember that you're giving your fellow brethren an opportunity to serve God in this way and to serve you. And then there's going to be other times when you're going to see your brothers and sisters in need, and then it's your opportunity to serve God and serve your brethren by giving to them any chance that you get. We know that God is such a giver of everything that we have. And when we think about as we're giving to other people, as we're giving to the church, and as we're giving to people in need, it's a very small way that we can exercise being more like God because He's given so much to us. So it's a great way that we can serve others. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, it says, Every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. You know, in the Old Testament, what they had is they would have tithing, which means they gave a tenth of everything that they had uh, on an annual basis. And it was a set amount that they had to do. Now what we have in the New Testament, this is not a set amount. It's supposed to be you give as according to your purpose in your heart. It's whatever you, you choose to give, as long as you're not giving grudgingly or you're not giving of necessity. So make sure that you're not getting pressured into giving or doing something that you don't want to do, um, and you're still exercising your opportunity to be that cheerful giver. Now, there's other ways that we can serve people without just serving them with money. So this is with giving of our finances. There's other ways we can serve as well. And one of those that we can serve is by just helping people, giving them charitable aid when, when they're in need. Luke chapter 10 and verse 30, it says, And Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance there came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise a Levite, when he was at that place, he came and looked upon him, and he passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him. And he went to him, and he bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast, and brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And on the morrow, when he departed, he took out two pence, and gave them to the host, and said to him, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more when I come again, I will repay thee. Which now of these three, thinkest thou, was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? And he said, He that showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said unto him, Go and do thou likewise. Jesus gives us this example of when someone came upon hard times. You have both a priest and a Levite, which is, a, is another form of like a priest. They saw this person in need and they just walked away. They walked away on the other side. They're, they're not going to address it. That person, he'll, he'll be fine. Somebody else will come along and take care of it or not. But either way, they weren't going to address it. And then you have this Samaritan, which a lot of people did not like the Samaritans at the time. They were kind of looked at as, as not as worthy as everybody else, the Samaritans. But the Samaritan saw him, and he took that person. Now, it's, it's understandably, he didn't know who that person was. This person just fell on hard times and, and came against thieves and was beaten, and he didn't know who this person was. But he saw a need, and he took that person, and he helped that person. He gave him what he needed. He took him to the end. He helped take care of his wounds. So he took care of what he needed. Now, the key thing for us to remember is the very last in verse 37. And Jesus said, you know, who, who did what they were supposed to do? And they said, well, it was the Samaritan. What is, what is Jesus' instruction for those people? Is go and do likewise. 
And that's the same instruction that we have today, is when you see someone in need, when you see someone that's came up with hard times and something's going on that, that is troubling them, go and do likewise that the Samaritan did. Go help that person. Go do what you can to help them, whatever it may be need. We also see in Matthew chapter 25 and verse 34, it says, Then shall the king say unto them on the right hand, Come ye, you blessed of my father, and inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was in hunger, and ye gave me meat. I was thirsty, and ye gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee hungered and fed thee, or thirsty and gave thee drink? Or when saw we thee a stranger and took thee in, or naked and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick or in prison and came unto thee? And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as you have done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, you have done it unto me. I'd be willing to bet if any one of us saw Jesus out there on the street today that needed a little bit of help, We'd stop everything we're doing. We're helping Jesus because he's Jesus. Every single one of us would do that for what he has done for us. What Jesus is teaching us here is when we do that for other people, especially our brethren, when we do that for people in need, it's just like we're doing it for Christ himself. And he expects it. He expects that we do that. Also, when we do that and when we serve other people and we give them what they need, it helps to keep us grounded. And remember that sometimes hard times can come on us too. And we need, to, we, we need to use those opportunities to make sure we're continually putting our trust in God, that God will take care of us during those hard times, just like he's taking care of that person through you, that you can go serve and you can go help them. Now, another way that we can serve each other is in the assembly, just like what we're doing here today. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, it says, Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. When we come here on Sunday mornings for the purpose of worshiping God, one of the, the things that we should be doing when we come here is considering each other, thinking about how we can provoke one another unto love and to good works, how we can encourage, how we can edify, how we can exhort one another that as we then go back out into the world, we have this spiritual nourishment that we receive here from all of our brothers and sisters, that they're pouring into us and you're pouring into them. You can receive that spiritual nourishment and then you can take it out in the world and go fight off anything, any, any hard times that you see coming. So here's what we see is that you, you, when we know that we come together, we look at God's word and we come together for the purpose of worshiping him, that we're doing it so that we can provoke each other to love and to good works. We also see that for our participation in the services, if we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 14, what Paul is writing to the church at Corinth here is, is they were really wanting these spiritual gifts, the miraculous gifts that they had at that time. They were wanting these things, and Paul writes to them, and he tells them you should actually want something a little bit different. In 1 Corinthians 14 verse 12, it says, "...even so ye, for as much as ye are zealous of spiritual gifts..." Seek that ye may excel to the edifying of the church. And then verse 26, it says, How is it then, brethren, when you come together, every one of you hath a psalm, hath a doctrine, hath a tongue, hath a revelation, hath an interpretation. Let all things be done unto edifying. So Paul is writing to the church of Corinth and saying, When you come together, instead of desiring these miraculous gifts or these powers or these different things that they had at that time that, that we don't have anymore, 
What we should be desiring is edifying each other and encouraging one another and making sure we're building each other up. And that's a way that you can serve your brothers and sisters is by showing up and pouring into them and showing love towards them when we come together. So when we look at these five different things of how we can receive spiritual nourishment, we've talked about prayer, meditation, personal study, group study, and service to others. So this morning we've looked at some really practical ways that we can receive this spiritual nourishment. And as we receive this spiritual nourishment, remember that it's like we're the tree planted by the rivers of water. So when the hard time comes, we're okay. We don't have to worry about the drought comes. We don't have to worry about when there's heat. And we can constantly be putting our focus and putting our trust in God and making sure we're applying these to our lives so that we can continually produce good fruit for God's Word. So now as Christians today, we've got a daily choice to make. Are you actually going to do this or not? Are you actually going to go to God in prayer continually? Are you going to meditate on His Word? Are you going to study His Word individually and with a group? Are you going to make sure you're constantly looking for ways to serve others? You have the choice. And the choice is yours to apply it to your life so that you can receive the spiritual nourishment. Or you have the choice to be the shrub in the desert. Put your trust in yourself. Put your trust in fellow man. And see what happens when the hard time comes. Jeremiah already told us what's going to happen when the hard time comes. That you won't see any good times. You're going to wither away. You won't produce good fruit. So we have a daily choice to make when we're going out into the world and we're doing the things that we need to do is we can apply these things to our lives and we can do what we need to and continually grow and continually help each other um, or not. And we can do the other ways. So my encouragement for you this morning is to be like the tree planted by the water. Make sure that you're continually getting that spiritual nourishment that you need. And, and only you can do that for yourself. We can help you with it. We can assist you with it, but you have to make the decision to do it for yourself first. And then we can show you love and show you encouragement to continue going. If you haven't started your walk with Christ this morning, then I'm here to tell you that you really don't have the spiritual nourishment that you need because you're not rooted in Christ yet, but you can be. Christ gives you all things. He has everything that you need to wash away your sins so you can put your trust and focus in Him. He can help you overcome these hard times, but you have to make that first step in coming to Him and washing away your sins in baptism. And if you'd like to do that this morning, we can help you with that. We can help make that decision with you and show you how you can get rooted in Christ to begin with. If you already are a Christian and you haven't been applying these to your life, maybe you've been lacking the spiritual nourishment that you need, and the hard times, the troubles of this world are getting you off track, and you need the prayers of this church, that's one way that we can serve you and we can be with you. And we would like to do that with you this morning. If you'd like to be baptized into Christ or you need the prayers of the church for any reason at all, just come and have a seat on this front pew while we stand and sing the song that's been selected. We hope you enjoyed this teaching from God's Word. If there's anything we can do to help you in your walk with Christ, send us a message at facebook.com slash cfcnwa. To find more sermons, look for us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and like our Facebook page. Thanks for listening, and God bless.